Mazzocchi. Faraschelia sets himself. He is top class. And it is no coincidence that his return from suspension coincides with Napoli regaining their attacking threat. Scurra, scurra, check it and welcome back to another episode of Serie A Spotlight. This is episode 112 and we are your hosts Matt and Jake here to talk to you guys about match day 23. What a match day. We had a running of giants. Chiara described this game as two tops trying to fuck each other. Amazing. Yes, a very artistic girlfriend I have. Yeah. <laughs> it pretty much summed it up though, but then we had one top that was way more dominant than the other, of course, that top being Inter, right? Yeah. Um, an action-packed match day, but to be honest, it didn't get much better than Friday, did it? I mean, Friday was was absolute magic, that Lecce-Fiorentina game. That would be the real upset of this match day. I wouldn't say there were other upsets. Frosinone got close to doing one over Milan. But that Lecce-Fiorentina were leading until the 89th minute, dog. Lecce got the equaliser in the 90th, winner in the 92nd, nothing quite like that. Of course, Atalanta um, turned up the heat against Lazio. They are so good, bro. Atalanta are looking so good. And let me tell you what, bro. So firstly, obviously, CDK, wow. Because that that was the best I've ever seen CDK play ever, ever like. But Miranchuk, dog. Silky Russian. Miranchuk, he's got that that, that magic. He's got the magic in him. It's true. He's got that um, beautiful singing voice, by the way. He's got that boom, boom, boom. (laughs) Miranchuk is um, highly, highly technical, and he's a super flair player. So, like, he can turn it on and just spin before the defender can even turn, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, he's, he's, he just turns there, yeah. you know? Problem is, when, when Cope is back in the team, then, then there's there's no spot for him, unfortunately. And It's hardly man. a problem with Gasperini. Yeah, yeah. But he, he, was, he was, literally, he was getting the ball in the box consistently. And that's what a player like that does when he gets the ball in the box. But anyway... We're jumping the gun a little bit. We are. Goal of the week. Yes, we went with Gvaratskelia. It had been a while. Last season was full of Gvaratskelia goals of the week. Of course. And this one was kind of similar to his goal against Monza last season. Even the commentary was very similar. The commentary for that goal was, here's Gvaratskelia steadies himself. What an absolute (laughs) screamer. And this was setting himself instead. And he goes on to scream. That technique he has, the way he slouches forward. You know how coaches tell you don't lean back. Yeah. He's the CEO of leaning forward, bro. Yeah. He leans forward and he just gives it that spin and he angles it perfectly into the top corner. It's a beautiful, beautiful yeah. shooting technique he has. Long distance, top corner. What more would you want from a goal? Close contender, I would say Mandragora struck mm-hmm. a delicious uh, strike on the bounce from way out, hit it low hard into the bottom corner. That was an amazing goal. Um, Pasalic had a great goal. It was a great passage of play by Atalanta. The classic cross to the far post that was headed towards um, uh, Pasalic, who did great to chest the ball and volley it in acrobatically. And obviously the Volpato curler. We've got a new trademark celebration here for Volpato. An interesting one. Um, I'm not quite sure what he's doing. I'm not sure if it's one horn on the right only. 
or if it's an antenna or if it's like some terminator thing if it's a horn it makes sense because he's roman mm. he is a roman but it's on the side of his head for those of you who haven't seen it he kind of puts his thumb okay so he extends his pinky and puts his sticks it's, his thumb it's out, like, like you know when like you, the you're rah, telling the people like either the wah rightly said or it's when you're telling people let's let's get drinks let, let's get yeah, fucked yeah. up that kind of thing you do with your hand but he, yeah. the, the caputo celebration it's, the caputo, it's the caputo celebra- celebration. celebration but on his head on yeah. the side of his head It's weird. I don't know, man. It's Maybe weird. it's like a reindeer with one antler. I don't know. Yeah. But how funny. I can't hear the word reindeer. With, and the first thing I think of is either reindeer or reindeers. Yeah. So, yeah. That, that's how polluted my mind is. Guys, if you're new here, don't forget to like our podcast. Follow us wherever you're listening. Drop us a rating. Show us some love. Um, it's always great to get new people on board listening to the podcast and that's what we're here to do we would like to start a community um, we're growing, we've started a community and we would like to welcome you guys yeah, absolutely, you can join the likes of the people who make this podcast happen, Alan, Andrew and Danny and Okay, let's let's try let's that try again. That again uh-huh. Yeah, let's go right. Alan, Andrew, Andy, Anthony, Tim, Campbell, Sluge, McNood, Lena, David, Kyle, Luca, Matthias, Mint, Michael, Ed, and Tonna. Yes, thank you for swapping. For swapping yeah, yeah. yeah, Michael thought that was like that one person or two people. <laughs> yeah, but those are our patrons. For those of you that don't know, we, yes, we do have a Patreon. If you guys would like to contribute to the growth of our podcast, you know, we're currently um, uh, using new microphones. Um, we're in our studio, which now has a door, by the way. Thanks to you guys who pay three ninety nine a month to help us fund this. Absolutely, Life. the money is always put back straight into the podcast. None of it is taken for our own personal gain, yeah. mostly because there isn't enough to take for our own personal gain. <laughs> yeah, <I laughs> But no, no, I swear we we do plan on um, improving the studio. It's already coming along so nicely. Yeah, and plus, let's just say that in summer we struggle sometimes to come up with concepts for content, right? I don't know, maybe some big project in the future throughout the summer period that maybe would require travel, that maybe would require mm-hmm. a videographer, maybe, Ooh. you know, I don't know. And flight tickets to a certain part of southern Italy. Yeah. Knows, yeah. yeah, or central Italy. There are a few There are a few interesting ones, but let's not get ahead oh, of ourselves. Way up north to Sutterod, baby. Who knows? Shall we? Yes, okay. we shall. So, so I'll jump into it. Ah, the rundown, of the course. The rundown, brother. Is this your first time on the podcast? Yes, as you can tell, um, both of us have had a long day. But you know what, man? You had a long day. You don't feel like... Wah, wah, wah. Bitch, little baby. Wah, wah, wah. But yeah, th- this is probably going to be a bit of a shorter one because yeah. we're both fucking exhausted life, right? Um, but anyways, we'll kick things off with the Derby d'Italia where Inter beat Juventus one goal to nil due to a singular Gatti own goal. We knew that there weren't going to be many goals in this game um, and it was just the one doing for Inter. Frosinone against Milan. Milan had to come back to beat Frosinone and it was uh, 3-2. The final result, including goals by Gabbia, Luke and Lukajovic and even Giroud for Milan. Uh, Napoli 2, Verona 1. That's where you'll find our goal of the week. And also an Ngonj goal against his former club, but it did go down as an own goal due to a significant deflection. Hmm. Atalanta 3, Lazio 1. Atalanta once again looking magnificent and CDK was absolutely everywhere. Everywhere, anything, all at once, or whatever the, the fuck that, that, that movie is called. 
Roma 4 Cagliari nil. Mamma mia, the drama look good in this game. Did they look solid? Now you can run over Cagliari, but they their free-flowing attacking football looked so 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 good that it almost reminded me of Spalletti's Napoli without getting too carried away. Uh-huh. Um, the the thing is, ah wait no, I'm going to start discussing it over here. Yeah, oh, yeah, that, yeah the, the problem <laughs> Ranieri's four four two is not to be underestimated. You know what? <laughs> in the rundown, <laughs> it's, lit- it's literally called a rundown, like. Lecce 3, Fiorentina 2 in what was the upset of the week and a real, real comeback there by Lecce. They were. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Lecce were losing the game in the 89th minute and to to come back like that as as one of the minnow sides is unbelievable. Uh, Bologna 4, Sassuolo 2. This is the most Sassuolo scoreline ever. Both teams had a. Very good game, but Bologna just showing that bit more class than the heated derby. Yeah, it, it is actually a heated derby, of, of course, because they are both in Bologna. However, Sassuolo, they are based in uh, Bologna. However, their stadium is in Modena, which is probably why they don't have that many supporters. Um, the last three games, we will just brush um, brush through towards the latter stages of this episode because they were all nil-nils. None of these guys got the memo that, you know, it was a free-flowing scoring contest this week because it was Udinese nil, Monza nil, Torino nil, Salernitana nil, and Empoli nil, Genoa nil. So I think we should start off with the obvious game, bro, the Clash of the Titans, Inter 1, Juve nil, the Derby d'Italia. And what a Derby d'Italia it was because... Uh, Inter winning would put them four points clear, which would um, and they also have a game in hand against Atalanta, so yeah. Juve would fall, would have fallen and in fact did fall um, a little bit behind in the Scudetto race because of this loss. Um, Jan Sommer was in goal for Inter as they lined up their usual three-five-two formation, and I think this was pretty much their strongest eleven. There was Pavard, Acerbi, and Bastoni at the back, with Darmian out on the right and Di Marco on the left. Barella, Chalanoglu and Mkhitaryan in the middle with Thuram and Martinez up front. For Juve, it was also a pretty strong 11, 3-5-2 as well, with Szczesny in goal, Danilo, Bremer and Gatti at the back. Kostic was out on the left, Cambiazzo was out on the right, with Rabiot, Locatelli and McKenny in the middle, with a striker partnership of Vlaovic and Yildiz. So can I start debating something with you from now? Would, shouldn't Chiesa be in their strongest 11? But, so, it, it's, it's not that question, because... Mm. I understand that maybe form plays uh-huh. a significant factor. And yeah, and and Yildiz is is you know peak fitness mm-hmm. and, and Chiesa. He's kind of like glass. Mm-hmm. Like when you have him, like okay, he is gonna get injured. We all know that, but it's almost like he's preserved all the time for a big occasion. Hello, what's what's the Derby d'Italia? Is it not a big occasion? Was he not a hundred percent still? Is he ever? A hundred percent. That's a good question. I don't think he's been a hundred percent in a while. Yeah, yeah. I I think that's just the honestly, type of player he is, man. Th- when when he's at a hundred percent, he's Italy Euros. That time they won it. Mm, yeah, that is him at full strength. But that's it, right? The Euros was what? How many games at most? Exactly. You know, yeah. like fewer than ten games, and. Um, you can get him on a stretch of form where he does well, but you utilizing him that way throughout the season, starting him game in, game out with the way this guy plays, he's bound to injure himself. Absolutely. So I don't think that what Allegri is doing is 
is terrible no. bringing him on as a gear shift introducing that fifth gear you mm-hmm. know into into the game later on he's basically utilizing him the same way Ranieri utilizes Luvumbozito and it's yeah. a shame it's, a, it's shame. a shame because we want to see more of him but at the end of the day you know you start Chiesa he gets injured <laughs> yeah yeah that's what that's happens it. or he takes a knock or he's, he's always playing with a slight knock you know there's always something man there's always yeah. something with him. but I'm all for Keenan Keenan yield his baby 18 years old and for the first time I think he did look 18 years old this game perhaps, perhaps. yeah this was his first real big big challenge I think and you know it's, he's, he's he's up against <laughs> Inter Inter and that is one of the best defenses if not the best defense in Europe it, it's up there it's definitely it's up there it's not sure. it's not a stretch no, okay i know there are some listeners that maybe are tuning in that aren't too attuned with with Serie A or or maybe um they view Serie A as a lesser league but do, do, do not sleep on this inter setup because they are very solid off the ball and they are in, incredibly effective on the ball as well so yeah i would say they have one of the best defenses in europe if not the best absolutely for sure they've made the champions league Final last season and City struggled to, put, to yeah. score against them. So yeah, so yeah, um, very good defense. Juve um, faced their second loss in seven Derby d'Italia league meetings. So in reality, this wasn't very straightforward for Inter. And historically, Juve do well in this fixture. Mm-hmm. Okay, so despite Inter's early possession dominance, they struggled to break through Juve's defense in the first half. Okay, 80% ball possession for Inter in the opening 10 minutes, by the way. A very, very interesting stat ah. over there. Because I, I remember the game starting off pretty end-to-end for a while, for a bit. But then just Inter so. piled it up, man. I'm watching it yeah. back, Inter just fucking piled it up on them. Man. Yeah. Um, and it was in the second half uh, where Juve came out with a little bit more momentum, but mm-hmm. but we'll get to that eventually. But isn't that what what Juventus do? It's what they're notorious for doing. Yeah. No, you take the ball, we'll we'll chill off it, and then we'll hit you on the break. Absolutely, Chalanoglu had a defense splitting pass that created a threatening chance. Um, it was an absolute laser. The the referee had to duck out of the way. And it came to DeMarco, who played the ball um, to, to Ram. And I think the ball wasn't as ideal as it should have been. It was kind of behind him. And it allowed Gleason Bremer. Gleason. I always call him Gleason. You know, that, that's the thing I've been doing since season. Okay, it's his actual name, Gleason. Gleason. Gleason okay. Bremer. Um, yeah, Bremer's crucial attacker denied through Ram, of course. What a defender he is, man, Bremer. Absolutely. He's incredible. And I'm telling you, you have a few miracle workers back there in this mm-hmm. game. It really showed <laughs> Chesney being, of course, the the god amongst men over there. Yeah. Juve, okay, we're stuck in their in their own half. They found a rare opportunity through um, McKenny setting up Vlaovic, who missed a golden chance. His first touch was too heavy, and he couldn't even take the shot on. To be honest, he just ran yeah. it out of play. Unlike Vlaovic, we've seen his his first touch has been very good. Okay, his mm-hmm. first touch is usually one of the best things about Vlaovic. Last season against Empoli, he had two goals. Mm-hmm. The ball came over the top and basically glued itself to his foot. Um, this time, of course, the pressure was mounting and he he flunked it. Yeah, it reminded me of Giroud's touch last season against Inter. And oh. Suma went, Giroud! 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 <laughs> <laughs> yep. The turning point came just before halftime when Pavard's mishit bicycle kick led to chaos in the box. <laughs> Federico Gatti inadvertently chested the ball into his own net. Of course, Turam was there to pounce had he not done that. 
um, Pavarda. Pavard is a, a, a naughty, a naughty little minx, isn't he? He's he's <laughs> That's an interesting way of putting it. Because, because last week, what did I say? I said he's been so sound defensively, um, and I was expecting him to be a bit more of an attacking outlet for Inter, mm-hmm. particularly with the way that they use their wing backs. And we've seen Pavard really excel as a right wing back, particularly for France when they won the World Cup. So I really was expecting to see him in more threatening situations. There he is in the box with his back towards goal and brother goes for bro bro goes for a bicycle yeah, kick I, and I would hardly call it miss hit but I don't think he meant to strike it he meant to put the ball in a dangerous situation he meant to guide the ball I believe he went for the assist uh, bicycle kick no I'm not I'm not sure I'm not sure he might have gone for goal to be honest um what I do know is the technique was there. Yeah. You know, it's just the strike wasn't exactly 100%, but yet led to a goal, so I'm sure he'll take that. Um, of course, Turam did not claim the goal, but he celebrated anyway. Yeah. After the break, as I mentioned earlier, Juve came out with a different approach. They managed to outshoot Inter 10-6, but somehow Summer was never really called into action. Do you remember Summer making any saves this game? No, in fact, Materazzi poked fun at that. I don't know yeah. if that if, if that's a point that you're going to bring up. But no, I'm but thank you for reminding me. Please go for I'm it. totally stealing it. Um, <laughs> so it, it, there was a, a stat that said the, the amount of fans, the amount of Inter spectators that there were in the stadium. Mm. And Materazzi wrote, he posted that stat, the amount uh, of support that were, plus Jan Sommer, mm. <laughs> because he was one of the spectators, yeah. naturally. Uh, it's, the, it's the screen that says the total spectators exactly. at, the, at the stadium. Yeah. Plus, plus Jan Sommer. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> what a shithouse. Brilliant. Um, yeah, um, Sommer was never really called into action, basically. Inter had their opportunities, they had chances through Di Marco and Chalanoglu, um, with Chalanoglu striking the post with a wonderful volley. Di Marco was lively, but he wasn't quite accurate this game. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he was quite wayward with his crossing yeah. and his shooting and everything. Something was, was off. I don't know if the occasion got to him a little mm. bit. Of course, um, Chesney had saves on Thuram, Barella and Arnautovic that were absolutely phenomenal, particularly... The Barella one was amazing. It was a tight angle, granted, um, for Barella, but he was one-on-one and he struck the ball venomously. Mm-hmm. And Chesney got down and saved it really well. And the one on Arnautovic was just super. He made himself so big, charging out um, to the point that it looks like a bad miss the first time you see it. And then you watch it over and over and you realize that Chesney rushed out so quickly that Arnie didn't really have much to yeah do, just you know, proper goal he shot into the space and Chesney's hand was there yeah there's nothing he could have done yeah yeah Inter maintained their impressive defensive record beyond the 76th minute securing a sixth successive home league victory on the flip side Juve's 19 match on beaten streak came to an end a massive disappointment for Juventus and the mood at the end of the game was really telling you know Juve were pretty disappointed and Inter were over the moon. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of... Well, obviously, we know how competitive these two sides are. Um, and we know that there was a lot of shit-talking between both parties before this game, um, including the the managers throwing subtle jabs, well, not so subtle jabs, um, at each other. So th- there's a lot of pride on the line in a, in a derby like this. And obviously, people coming into this we're deeming it as a, as a decider now I know it's too early to to consider this game a decider um especially with Milan being so close to to Juventus now um 
but yeah, so so with, with, with all that pressure on the line, naturally the mood is gonna be be horrible for you, Yeah, absolutely, man. Um and it's again, it's it's not looking good because you you need Inter to, to lose three games, two games and draw one, you know, but you need to win them all. Yeah. And that is fucking difficult. And well, like Champions League is gonna kick off like in a week or two. Yeah. I believe um, today week there are matches, hmm. Champions League matches. Um, Inter are gonna play. Juve are not gonna play. So that might cause um, that 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 might cause a little stir. You know it. it Inter can drop some points over there. Will they? Um, it definitely increases the chances. Yeah. Um, yes, but but the the point is that Juve need to win every game. <laughs> they 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 don't get far from that. You Juve were just on a nineteen match undefeated run, and they won most of those games. Juve have Juve can remain consistent so long as they don't have to play Inter. Um, or Empoli, or, uh, <laughs> or Sassuolo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just those, just those. I yeah. guess. Um, of course, yes, it's it's very tight. Anything can happen. One poor run of form um, for Inter, or an injury crisis for Inter, could really topple the season round. To be honest, um, so I, I I would definitely say it's too early to count Juve out of the title race, or even Milan for that matter. But it is looking likely that it's going to be Inter's year. And Inter, man, they just seem like they're another level to these teams. They One. beat me. They, they smash Milan every time they play them. They beat Juve over here. If Juve didn't have incredible Wojciech, Szczesny and goal, it would have been a 3-0 victory for Absolutely. them. Absolutely. What I think is this team is so strong, kind of like the Napoli of, of last season, Spalletti's Napoli, that... Most of the reason they beat teams like Juve, beat teams like Milan, the top seven teams, is because these teams are so scared of playing them. And what I mean by scared is, so Juve hung back, for example, because, you know, they're, they're, they're a counter-attacking side. Dinter love having the ball. Inter adore being on the ball. What happens when Juve get the ball and they break forward? They are mortified of losing the ball because Inter on the break are fucking unstoppable. Yeah, yeah. They are devastating on the break. So that fear kind of kicks in and it doesn't allow you to be that confident person that tries something special on the ball. It doesn't allow you to get into that flow state because you overthink everything because this is a risky pass and, and Mkhitaryan can intercept it or Barella can intercept it. And when one of those intercepts your pass and you've got one player out of position, you are going to be exposed. So I think Inter, because they are so good, they instantly have an advantage by literally not doing anything. Because you put any side up against Inter and they instantly become worse, man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, one interesting thing is that Charlie Alcaraz mm -hmm. featured this game. Um, despite having only trained for one day. Now, for those <laughs> of you who don't know who Charlie Alcaraz is, he's a midfielder who was signed by Juve on loan from Southampton. And they have an option to buy him of 51 million. Yes, you are you calling that, right? him? Are you, are you calling him Charlie? Isn't it Charlie Alcaraz? I've got Carlos here, bro. You've got Carlos? Yeah. 
Ah, so Carlos is his name. His name is Carlos Jonas Alcaraz Duran, but his nickname is Charlie yeah, or, or probably, Charlie, one of them. Yeah. Probably a strategic nickname considering the the tennis star at the moment, Carlos <laughs> yeah, yeah, Alcaraz. Um, Googling him has proven to be quite difficult. <laughs> um, this guy was at a Racing Club. He's from Argentina, of course. He's 21 years old. With Racing, he had 38 games and scored four goals. With Southampton, he had 41 games and scored seven goals. And now he's he's been shipped to Juventus. Quite the career trajectory for him. Racing Club, Southampton, Juve. Yeah. That's and th- well, what did unorthodox. you say the, the buyout clause was? 51 million. 51 million? Yeah. Jesus Christ, man! Weird, who, is, right? who is bro? This game happened on your birthday. Yes, it did, and I didn't get any birthday presents from it. Well, you got a PlayStation Five uh, from you, <laughs> not from this game, <laughs> not from just me. To be clear, I'm not yeah. saucing out here. From like... Matthew and everyone he knows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've finished this game, bro, with one shot on target that came in the seventy-second minute, and that one shot was a weak. Shot of the left foot of Vlaovic from outside the box with an XG of 0.07. Madonna. So it's safe to say that Juve didn't really threaten, despite always looking in in the game. That's what Allegri's Juve gives you. They're always in the game. Uh-huh. Even if they don't, if they don't shoot, they're not gonna concede. They're not gonna go too behind. They're not gonna go too down. And and I noticed this when watching the game, and it was I, I was almost getting infuriated because at times it didn't look like Juve were looking for a goal. Mm-hmm. Like Inter would have the ball and Juve would have all eleven players behind the ball. Ah, uh-huh. so so it's a problem of like urgency. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it 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 was like Christ, like fucking press them, do something. But but they're piling all men back. It's like they they definitely don't want to concede another goal, and that is their priority. Yes, I feel the need, bro. Before we move on to once again praise Hakan Chalanoglu, who has he really was insane in this game. Up. Honestly, he was insane in this game. Um, he was he was pretty much flawless, man. Pinging balls over the top, long passes, tackling hard. Um, his work ethic was one of the things I enjoyed most about Chalanoglu at Milan, and it's one of the things that I thought was invaluable about his game, um, and something that most Czechoartisti actually do not offer that defensive mm-hmm. hustle. Yeah, and every time I defended Chalanoglu with my peers, I always said, "Ah, his, his defensive work rate, you know, what he gives to the team, what he contributes defensively, is irreplaceable." And um, you know, I, I was mocked, quite frankly, because your Trequartista is not meant to do that. He's meant yeah. to create chances and score goals, and that's something that Chalanoglu was never consistent at doing at Milan. But Inzaghi has reinvented him. He has he's playing him deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got more time on the ball. He's got more time to ping these perfect passes, more room to ping these passes, and he has really transitioned into one of Europe's finest midfielders. Agreed, agreed, and, and a very versatile one at that moment because he can play as a track whiteista. Um, he can play as a regista, and let me tell you what, bro, as a box to box midfielder, he definitely has the qualities to to play there as well. Yeah, absolutely, man. When it comes to the table, of course, we've got first place and second place with a point discrepancy of four, with Inter in first and Juve in second. Inter have a game in hand. Yep, remember that game in hand shan't just be considered a guaranteed three points because this is a match that they're playing against Atalanta, who are obviously a very tough side to play against. They've looked immense. And also, if you look at Inter's running, uh, throughout that period so 
they play against Salernitana at home on the 16th of February. Four days later, they play against Atletico Madrid at home. Five days after that, they play Lecce away. And then three days after that, they play Atalanta at home. And then just five days after that, they play Genoa at home. At least they get to stay at home quite a bit throughout that period, which is good for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can probably afford to rest some players against Lecce. Uh-huh. Um, of course, their substitutes have proven to be dependable. So, Even Aslani. <laughs> yeah, everyone, all of them. So yeah, um, I'm just curious to see what will happen to them if they experience three semi-long-term injuries, just like the other teams, you know, Juve, Milan, Atalanta. These teams have all Roma. suffered, yeah, Lazio as well, with serious injuries. And it seems that Inter have been quite unfazed. And it seems that Inter are quite unfazed by injuries overall. Yeah. They really don't don't struggle. I don't know if that's a, a matter of um, just medics and man management and workload management or if it's um, just a matter of luck to be honest yeah, like, I have no idea how is Barella not injury prone yeah. <laughs> you know yeah, what yeah, I mean the way he rolls around yeah yeah right um, but anyway yeah, that, that's enough about that fixture let's jump to Frosinone to Milan 3 this was a very very feisty encounter I really enjoyed watching this game um, obviously you know as a, as a Milan fan I I didn't enjoy it so much at the same time, but it was, from a neutral perspective, very enjoyable. So Milan were coming off a 2-2 home draw to Bologna, Frosinone coming off a 1-1 away draw to Hellas Verona. The previous encounter between the two sides was a 3-1 victory for Milan at home. Now the Rossoneri were coming off a dramatic 2-2 draw with Bologna, which saw both Giroud and Teo missing penalties in case anyone forgot. Tomori, Kalulu, Ciao, Pobega, Caldara and Chukweze remain unavailable, while the Canarini, Mr. Bonifazi, Oyono, Marvin Cooney, Gediemis, Zortea, Kalai, Luzwardi, Baez and Markitsa. So yeah, these are the kinds of injuries that other teams face. This game saw the team that has scored the most first half goals in Serie A this season, which are Milan with 24, take on the side that conceded the most goals in the opening 45 minutes this term, Frosinone with 20. Damn, you did your homework, huh? Yeah, sir, seria.com. <laughs> <laughs> Documents, stats. Um, so it was a 4-2-3-1 formation for Frosinone with Turati in goal and a backline, listen to this, a backline of Brescianini, Romagnoli, Ocoli and Gelli. Brescianini and Gelli as the wingbacks. Very interesting. Hmm. Berencea and Mazzetelli in the double pivot with Harui on the left, Sec on the right and Sule behind Caio George. For Milan, it was also a 4-2-3-1 with Mike Magnan in goal and a backline of Calabria, Kier, Gabbia and Hernandez. Reinders and Adli in the pivot. Uh, Pulisic on the right, Leao on the left, Loftus-Cheek playing behind Giroud. This is the same exact starting eleven for the past four matches. Yeah. Now, in the 16th minute, Giroud opened the scoring for Milan. Uh, Leao unleashed an early in-swinging cross to the far post that was met by Giroud, heading into the near corner, beating the scrambling Turati at his near post. Good start for Milan. In the 20th minute, though, Sec forced a great save from Manjan after striking from long range, forcing the French goalkeeper to tip the ball over the bar. Just three minutes later, in the 23rd, after threatening, um, Frosinone equalised through a penalty by Sule. The penalty was awarded to Frosinone after a cross met the stray arm of Leao. Sule converted very well despite Manjan going the right way. 
there was a debate about the penalty because it was very short distance uh, from when the ball left the player's foot to striking the arm of Leao, but at the end of the day, it was an infringement, so the penalty was awarded. In the 64th minute, Mazzitelli made it 2-1 for Frosinone, um, and not against the run of play, because Frosinone were the better side at this point. Mazzitelli squeezed the ball in from a very tight angle, just bobbling over the extended leg of Manian. The first time you watch that, you'll think it went through his legs. Soler got himself a great assist here through a very well-weighted through pass. I do think Manian should perhaps be doing better in that scenario. Yes, um, and <laughs> it's not really a hot take, is it, anymore? Manian needs to improve at the near post. Simple as. We've seen it. We've, we've seen, we've, it. We've there, seen there, him there, scramble it. There. Exactly. There, there's enough evidence of this. Um, especially if he's actually, if his demands are actually what they are reported to be, with the reported figure of eight million a season contract request, that's that's too much, bro. You need to you need to be pretty much flawless to be the highest earner as a goalkeeper on a team like Milan. You know, Leao doesn't even make eight million a season. He's a game changer. Yeah. You know, like granted, okay, Manian has also been a game changer, of course, but you know, you can't win a game unless you don't, unless you score a goal. Yeah, basically. So. So I, I, I'm not sure about the goalkeeper being the highest earner ever, to be honest. I'm not sure that's a sustainable model. Yeah, absolutely agreed. Um, especially when he's, you know, leaking in goals at, at the near post. Now, Manian's a fantastic goalkeeper, but he's not going through the, the best spell at the moment, even with his error against Salernitana and a few errors around that as well. However, in the 72nd minute, Gabbia got the equaliser for Milan, which made every Milan fan so, so happy after he returned in January. Giroud was once again available at the far post as he received a cross from Adli, and the veteran striker squared his header to the part of Gabbia, who slam-dunked the ball into the back of the net with a flying header. Thank you for saying that, because this game wasn't mine to prepare, and I, when we're watching this, I told Matthew, like, I can't wait to describe this goal as a slam dunk on the podcast, because that, that's you. what it was, you know, Giroud, man, that instinct to play the ball across goal. How many times have we said, this player should have squared it across the face of goal in that yeah. situation, but he went for goal and said Giroud yeah. at least was mindful enough to, um, to square it. And that's what you get. We often complain about having a 37-year-old striker, but that's what that experience does tend to get you. Um, in the 81st minute, Milan got their winner through who else? Luka fucking Jovic once again. Now, Ben Asser did very well to win the ball off of a frozen on a defender, whilst the defender did horribly to lose the ball. Um, ben Asser crossed the ball to Jovic. Uh, Romagnoli and Valeri made an absolute fucking mess. <laughs> Of things, I can't even describe what happened. I'm sorry. The ball ping ponged between them. One of them lost Smashed his footing. To each other. The other started running away, and the ball bounced <laughs> off his back, and it fell perfectly to Jovic, who finished into the bottom corner with his first touch of the game, bro. So Milan are out here scraping <laughs> wins, bro. Milan are scraping wins. What was the difficulty in this match? So, Frosinone are always a side that are going to cause you problems, right? I guess. Um, they're a side... I mean, to a degree. <laughs> I mean, to a degree. They, um, they press high and they, they force mistakes to a certain extent. Um, their lineup of Sek, Sule and Harui, you've got a nice combination of like aggressive pressers and technically gifted players. 
look at Dembasek, he's going to press you to oblivion. He look at um, Sule, he's going to press you. And he's also got that um, technical flair as well, same as Harui. Kyle George as well, more of a pressing forward than anything else. More of a presence to literally press and disrupt the back line. And Milan's back line at the moment is a little bit fragile, isn't it? We all know this. Yeah. And we have Theo Hernandez, who's kind of... Uh, not kind of. He's definitely an unorthodox left back. His position can can vary. You often yep. see him up beyond the halfway line, right? Gabia has just returned and he's been pretty fucking solid, to be honest. But then you have Kier, right, as well, who's who's a little bit um, older yeah. nowadays. So Milan's defense is there to be fucked with. Yeah. <laughs> and Frosinone definitely fucked with it, man. And mm-hmm. they fucked with it and they gave Milan the scare of their lives, man. Um, I did think that Milan would only get better as the game progressed because one thing Milan have that Frosinone don't have is quality of the bench. Mm-hmm. And how many seasons did we see where Milan didn't have quality of the bench? Way so that's too many. actually quite nice, you know, bringing on um, Benasser, Okafor, Jovic, Florenzi and Musa is pretty fucking good. You it's know, excellent. It, it's great. You it's know? excellent. That's not to mention, obviously, the youngsters that Milan have in case any of those guys aren't available. Yeah, Simic, Jimenez, Bartezaghi, all good. Um, notice I didn't say Filippo Terracciano's name because I'm angry at him. <laughs> <laughs> we're fighting. We're fighting. Yeah, we're yeah. not talking right now. Um, yeah, so I think that, um, thankfully, purely substitutions have really been working. Um, Jovic coming on, I don't know. And people often say that, oh, CDK, CDK last year, what the hell under Pioli? Pioli couldn't get them going, you know, Pioli ruins players, they don't get the best out of them. Imagine Leao under oh, another shit. manager. Dude, you look at the numbers that some of these guys have this season, like like Giroud and Jovic, they haven't had these numbers in a while. These no, players, come on, it's, it's, it's very harsh to criticize Pioli over what he got yeah. out of CDK's first fucking season in Italy after joining from the Belgian league and I have a point to make about that Maldini we're sorry we're sorry because he's great like he he got he got sacked because of CDK bro from today to tomorrow they fired him they're like look we gave you 35 millis we gave you 35 bags and you fucked them by signing this nerd but no no He's not a nerd at all now, bro. He's a fucking lion. He's like. a total nerd, bro. He's a total, <laughs> he's a total nerd, man. That's, he's a dweeb as well. He's a dweeb, is, yeah, you see it, you know. But but I like when he's playing well. He gets this nerdy confidence that I find really yeah. sweet. Um, yeah, but uh, funny to see how CDK got Maldini fired and then went and he's killing it at Atalanta and might actually qualify them yeah. for the Champions League. Um, he is, as they say in Italian, assassino. Eh? Yeah, yeah, and uh, come yeah. on, purely develops players. He does, he does develop players. There's yeah. no, there's no I two mean, ways the, of looking at it. The two case studies that are mentioned to kind of shit on purely is CDK, who's an anomaly because you look at the chances he missed. It's not like purely didn't put him in positions to succeed. He missed so many one on ones and easy chances at a yeah. point. At a point, I, I remember one chance towards the end of the season when everyone was just done uh, and emotionally exhausted with with CDK. He had he missed an opportunity and the crowd laughed. I had never heard that in a football game. Madonna, man. Where the crowd, you hear like a... Mm-hmm. Like, you're watching, <laughs> like you're watching two and a half men, you know? Like that actually happened with, with CDK. The other case study is Brahim Diaz, yeah. who purely developed. Brahim Diaz yeah. is a pupil of purely. Jake. Spent three seasons with him. Tomori, Theo Hernandez, 
These guys, okay, they came to Milan somewhat developed but underperforming. No, and he he gets the best out they of these guys. They were far from the men they are today. Even yeah, Leao, Teo, as you said, Benat, Le- Leao, Benat Leao, Leao, when he arrived, that was like get this guy out because he was <laughs> he, he was being played as a striker, yeah. and he was like Leao was still kind of raw to a degree. His style yeah. is raw, um, and he was he had that touch and and like. The lack of certain qualities of a nine, mm-hmm. and he was playing as a striker. I was like, get this guy out. But Pioli found his position, he worked on him, and he has cultivated a great fucking left winger. Absolutely. Look, I think many people are confused nowadays with their stance on Pioli. Um, I don't think it's ludicrous or ridiculous or uncalled for to say that Milan should go for a new manager at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. However, it's important to acknowledge Pioli's success at Milan and the fact that Pioli took Milan out of the fucking ashes yeah. and back into the sky, bro. Yes, because man. this team, this team were low, below, low, man. And he hasn't, he, he hasn't dipped. He hasn't dipped. Statistically, say the, say the yes. Stat- well, I don't have it on me. No, <laughs> basically, it's the same. Mil- Milan have the the same points at the same stage of the season than they did when they won the league. Exactly. The, yes, the yes, difference yes. is that that Juve are no longer shit, and Inter are no longer throwing away games. That's yeah. the fucking difference. Yeah. Everyone's getting better, so Milan want to get better. So sure, they want to change their coach. They want to upgrade. But Pioli has not dipped. Yeah, that's a that's a very good point. Last season was a little bit of a dip, of course. If it weren't for for Juve bending the rules, Milan wouldn't have qualified for the Champions League. But fortunately, for us yeah. at least, um, yeah. Juve bent the rules. <laughs> um, if you're a Juve fan listening, unfortunately, okay, yeah. and we empathize because there's nothing worse for a football fan to go through than some political bullshit that yeah. that sees your team punished. Yeah. On the Mes- pitch. messing with your with... team, man. Yeah. Okay, Luca. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I want to talk a bit about Leao. Um, yeah. A lot of people will say, you know, he's on a he's on a dry spell. He had a great fucking game. Yeah, the super game. game. He was yeah. so good, man. He was so good, and, and you know what? Fuck you. He was so good against Bologna, as well. He's doing what he does best. Eh? Unfortunately, when it comes to remember that stat we had read out a few a few um, episodes ago yep. where we compared um, the wingers who, who have yeah. With it, Leo, with Parra, exactly. Chiesa. So exactly, Leo, um, Guevara and Chiesa play closer to goal, while Leo was more of an XA kind of guy, yeah. an expected assists kind of guy. Um, Leo, as we, as I'm tired of saying, excels at taking the ball to the byline and finding a teammate or cutting inside and placing it into the bottom corner without having to put himself in a complicated position to shoot. Because in those situations, he does not thrive. I've never seen. Leao score a curler from out of the area, for no. example, like Vara did. Um, however, I've never seen Gvara take the ball and obliterate three men and take it to the byline and just look like he's a totally different species to them. Um, he's more of a close kind of quarters. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yes, Leao has his strengths and he's playing to them. Um, I regret taking him on Fanta Calcio, definitely, because yeah. he's not really um, that prolific goal scoring. And you spent on him, bro. Oh, yeah, man. 300 and something credits. Like 370 credits. Yeah, yeah. Out of a thousand. No huh? joke. Yeah. Um, PSG are like, they want him. PSG want, PSG are losing Mbappe, right? So they're looking to fill in that, that left wing slot. Now, apparently, According to sources that aren't so reliable, Leao considers the five-year mark of his time as Milan as time to move on. 
That's what certain reports are saying. Again, reports that are not so reliable. Mm. However, apparently doesn't seem too interested in the French League, probably because the French League is shit, <laughs> and he's interested more in the Premier League and La Liga. Mm. Which is a good thing, because I think Real Madrid are set. Real are set. Barca aren't as attractive a destination as they as they once were. I mean, they would. But their their sponsors, Spotify, Betlayau loves that. Yeah, man. yeah. It would be like, oh my god, when when worlds collide, <laughs> you know, my rap career, my yeah. Um, yeah. Um, look, ideally he doesn't leave, but well, at the if end he of does, the day, if he does, it's, it's one hundred and seventy-five yeah. million. That's his clause. Smackaroonies, bro. That's pretty good, man. Um, if he leaves, hopefully Milan will will reinvest and solidify and really fix the holes that there are in the team. Um, however, it is difficult to replace a player like Leao because I think I, I, I would safely say that unless you bring in Mbappe, you cannot. Mbappe or Vinny, you can't replace Leao yeah. otherwise. Yeah. Because he's he's top three with those guys when it comes to raw ability on the ball, when it comes to that just ability to just terrorize that left flank. Not many people can do it. He has authority on that left mm. flank, man. Mm. You know who's really coming through? I tell you, he's the fastest player that I have ever seen in my fucking life. Mudrik of oh. Chelsea. He's starting to play better yeah, now. After that goal second... against Malta, the yeah, fucker. Yeah, fucking bastard. It's it's a second season in the Prem now and things are a little bit more settled, mm. I guess. Okay. Well, he's still a youngster, no? Mudrik, how old is he? A 23. I think he might be even younger. If, um, let me just fact check. I don't know why like, I had to fact check Mudrik's age on a Serie A podcast. But yet I got it, bro. 23, 23 years Never old. Never doubt yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, just a couple more points and then we'll move on. I think Milan's worst performers in this game and a big reason as to why Milan struggled in this game were Reinders and Loftus-Cheek. I think Reinders and Loftus-Cheek left a lot to be desired. They... Mm. They've each been insane for Milan this season. However, this was a bit of an off game for them, particularly when it comes to, you know, losing the ball because there was a, a very high amount of press on them. And this is something purely said about Milan, which is Milan's style of play. In case no one knows what Milan's style of play is, in case you can't put your finger on it, Milan have a controlling style of play. Mm-hmm. Milan like to have the ball. Juve don't, Roma didn't, Milan love having the ball. What happens when Milan don't have the ball? Hmm. When Milan don't have the ball, they are bad. And Pioli said, we cannot be a good team of the ball. I don't know what he means by that, but he said, I doubt we can be a good team of the ball. But that is what Frosinone managed to do, no? They managed to win the ball of Milan and attack Milan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, probably the lack of a physical presence in midfield, apart from Loftus-Cheek, who's playing in the pocket behind the striker, um, and the fact that you have two, that you have an aging centre back and a plug centre back. Um, That's it, right? That's it. Off the ball, you are definitely going to struggle. One thing I want to mention, bro, before we do move on, is the heat map. Um, If you have time, go on sofa score, guys, and open the heat map of Milan from this game. And you'll notice a 2-6-2 formation. You'll notice that um, Gabia and Kier sit alone as the bottom two, of course. And that um, Loftus-Cheek plays slightly left of the center circle. While Benas- while sorry, Adli and Reinders both played close together in that center circle. Um, Theo was out on the left and Calabria out on the right. And playing right next to Calabria, playing off of him, was Pulisic. 
mm-hmm. in a slightly deeper position. Giroud was the most advanced number nine, and Leao out on the left as an advanced in space. Ten, in space, and it's this is um, kind of like what transitions into that weird formation that we always address you now, where you have yeah. a front line of five or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, um, this game I thought that the the system was was pretty promising at least. Yeah, it was okay. It was okay. Obviously, shout out to uh, Frozenone for putting up an amazing fight against a top quality team. Uh, shout out to Gabbia, amazing stuff, getting his second goal for Milan after his return in well, his first goal since his return, but his second goal ever um, for Milan and Luka Jovic. One of the I I love clutch players. Djovic is just that clutch player. He's won me over, bro. Now, and if you go back is... a few episodes, you'll hear me shitting on him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but he's 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 amazing. I love him. I love Jovic. Yeah, I I love him so much. Like kind of thing. The the thing about Jovic that I like, man, is you take him out of the box and you see what type of player he is. Exactly. You put him in the box like Fiorentina did, and you just work to feed him all day. Mm-hmm. You're not gonna see what type of player he is, man. You exactly. take him out of the box and you. You try to include him in, a, in some fluid build-up play, mm. then you'll see the really obvious man. Yeah. And he is a joy to watch, honestly. But you know what? Giroud, starter, Jovic coming on and doing what he does. That is the best way Milan can set up a match. It's, it's hard to argue with that, with the numbers, man, that um, Giroud is on. Giroud is 11, on 11 goals, goals and 8, eight assists. assists this season. Are you He's great. He's Are great. Jake, I always, I always tell you, Giroud mm. is the perfect striker for Milan. Yes. He's the perfect striker for Milan. Yes. And now, at least there's that depth and, and there's a competitor. Uh, that's, that's, what you, that's what Milan needed. Yes. That's what, that's what Giroud needed because he can't mm. be the sole striker. But yeah. Yeah. Milan, third place, 49 points. Now, just four points behind Juve. Milan are going to be keeping the pressure up on Juve over there. That is their goal and obviously get us close to Inter um, as they can. But it has been a good run for Milan. You look at Frosinone, on the other hand, they are on 23 points in 23 matches in 14th place and flirting with that relegation zone. They are only five points above Cagliari in 18th. Speaking of relegation zone, Hellas Verona took on Napoli at the Maradona. That's what I mean. <laughs> and lost 2-1. Um, not without a lack of trying, though. So yeah. Gollini was in goal for Napoli Gallini. in the 4-3-3 formation. The part-time goalkeeper, full-time rapper. Di Lorenzo was out on the right. Mario Rui was out on the left. with The centre-back partnership of Rahmani and Juan Jesus. Anguissa, Lobotka and Cayusta were the midfield three with Politano, Simeone and Gvartskelia leading the charge. As you'll notice, Gvartskelia and Cayusta are back from injury after getting uh, an accumulation of yellow cards in a rather silly way. Yeah, back from suspension. Back from suspension, yes. yes. yes you said back from injury. It's ah. fine. Yeah, suspension. Spanish. Montepo <laughs> was in goal for Hellas Verona. Who the played, Octopus. Who played a 4-2-3-1 formation. Shachua was out on the right. Yes, bless you. Cabal was out on the left. And Davidovic and Coppola formed the defensive partnership. Serdar and Duda were in the midfield too. It's 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 funny because you know how we say Duda means penis in Maltese. Yeah. Serdar without the S. What is it, Drake? It means... Suck. 
Erda. Erda. Erda Duda means Saka Willie. So Erda Duda was the midfield double pivot <laughs> with Lazovic out on the left and Folorunsho out on the right with Suslov playing behind new boy Tiani Noslin. Now, by the way, brother, am I gassed? Not for Tiani Noslin, but for Karel Zviderski, by the way, who's joined from the MLS. Um, he's a type of striker who's scored wherever he's been. He's got 20 goals for the Polish national team and he's been snapped up by Hellas Verona. If any of you have your repair auction on Fanta Culture, I do recommend this guy. Um, I think he'll get maybe, you know, four or five goals till the end of the season for Hellas Verona. Who knows? We'll see. But yeah, I'm definitely more excited for him than I am about Tiani Noslin. <laughs> so, Napoli um, came off a game where they only took one shot on target. Um, and this game was a completely different story because Gvaratskelia from the get-go um, started testing the goalkeeper from all sorts of different angles. Um, it was all him. He challenged Montepo on multiple occasions. He had a strong claim for a, for a penalty in the first half as well, which, to be honest, I think should have maybe been looked at. Mm. Um, Verona were quiet in the first half, but Lazovic squandered chance um, just before halftime. It was quite a bad one. Verona started the second half strongly with Coppola and Lazovic creating opportunities. Simeone's attempt was well saved by Montepo, keeping Napoli fans anxious. Verona took the lead with an unexpected breakthrough as Coppola's shoulder connected with Suslov's free kick. Um, it was a weird goal. At first I thought he scored with his arm, then I thought he scored with his back, then I noticed he scored with his shoulder. Yeah, he was going for a header. Yeah, full on, <laughs> full on, full on. Full on. The boy from Verona! <laughs> I love when commentators get gassed for, hey, for young players. Hey. Napoli swiftly responded. This time it was, of course, Eruolo Lex that was exercised. Cyril Ngonge, or as they started calling him today, nowadays, sorry, Ngonge. They, they just switched up on us. Like, before they were calling him Ngonge, so we called him Ngonge, though. They're calling him Ngonge, and I... I'm kind of married to Ngonge. I like Ngonge. I like Ngonge. Sir Ngonge. But you know, Ngonge. Completely different dude here. Ngonge, you know yeah. This goal eventually did go down as a Davidovic own goal, so it's not quite Ngonge's first Serie A goal for Napoli yet. Um, do you think it's fair for that to go down as an own goal? No, I don't think so. I think that this this could have been Ngonge's goal. It was helped yeah. over the line. It was... It was I believe it was going in, yeah, I think. it was going on target, right? Yeah. I thought it was a bit harsh. Yeah, it's always random when they decide yeah. that. Now, the Zergze one was probably going off target, so I get it. Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just before Ngonj's equaliser, there was a fantastic double save by Montepo on Lindstrom and Matsoki. Lindstrom yes. really changed the game around when he came on. He was, he was brilliant. It was so good. Simeone missed a one-on-one from a tight angle shortly after and attempted to chip Montepo on the rebound but failed to challenge the goalkeeper or hit the target. Gvaratskelia then delivered his moment of magic with a stunning curler, securing three crucial points for Napoli in the European race. For Verona, of course, the loss extends their winless away streak to 11 matches, keeping them in the relegation zone. The match showcased Napoli's resilience and Gvaratskelia's impact as one of the best players in the league, while Verona will, of course, regret the missed opportunities they had that could have shifted their fortunes. For me, um, apart from Gvaratskelia really stamping his authority and um, letting us know that Napoli can't do shit without him, um, Lindstrom 
looked super promising to me. And I think having Lindstrom and Ngonj offers Napoli some good solutions off the bench. Yeah, I think I think so. I think so. It was the first time we saw him really like insert himself in in the manner in which he did. But but he was very very involved. He was always on the ball, man. And you know what? Even Mazzocchi, when he came on, was was quite involved, getting in those dangerous areas as Napoli were attacking. He's a good little player to to bring on over there. Um, a guy I would like to highlight, and and you know me, I I love a good goalkeeper, man. I thought Montepo was phenomenal in this game. Mm. Um, Montepo. <clears throat> Last season, he was the keeper with the most saves in the league. Mm. And okay, it's probably because Verona conceded a lot of shots. Um, but he, he, he has, and I've always said, he is a very good keeper. He is. He, he is. He's, he's one of the good ones in the league. Now, of course, sometimes he makes the odd error. But he, he, I really, really like Lorenzo Montepo. Then you should ask him out, man. You never know. Maybe the feeling's mutual. Send him a DM or something. Yeah. He's only a year really, older really than really like you. He really... Lorenzo, I I really fucking like you, man. Anyway. Those eyes, the trim. The hands. The hands. God, the hands. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Napoli are... (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) Napoli are seventh in the league with 35 points. They're one point off of Bologna and sixth. While Hellas Verona are actually in 17th, of course. Cagliari did not get anything against Roma and the, um, you know, they conceded four goals, so they're now down in 18th. Verona are in 17th with 18 points. So, scrap what I said about them being in the relegation pool, they are currently out of it, thanks to goal difference. Yeah. Let's do Atalanta 3, Lazio 1. Um, Atalanta were coming off a 2-0 victory against Udinese, whilst Lazio were coming off a very boring 0-0 home draw to Napoli, um, which you made reference to as well. The previous encounter was a 3-2 home victory for Lazio. Now, this was, in fact, a head-to-head encounter for fourth place, uh, though both teams also have a game in hand. Uh, Coke Miners, Hien and Palomino were injured, with Lukman at the African Cup of Nations. The visitors had Immobile back from a ban, but missed Zaccagni, Patrick and the suspended Danilo Cataldi. Atalanta have won 37 of their 111 matches against Lazio in Serie A. Only against Bologna have they achieved more successes in their history in the top flight. Lazio were, however, beaten in five of their last six matches against Atalanta in Serie A after having failed to win any of their previous seven matches against Ladea in the competition. Now, it was a 3-4-1-2 formation for Atalanta with Carnesecchi in goal and the backline of Kolasinac, Jim City and Scalvini. Ruggeri was on the left, Home was on the right and Dejon and Edison formed the midfield too, with Pasalic playing just behind Miranchuk and De Ketelare. 4-3-3 for Tsarri's Lazio, Provedel in goal and the backline of Lazzari, Gila, Romagnoli and Marusic. A midfield three of Guendouzi, Rovella and Alberto, and a front three of Isaacson, Castellanos and Felipe Anderson. Now, Kolasinac got very close to opening the scoring in the 14th minute after his header following Amaranchuk cross forced a good stop from Ivan Provedel. And then the scoring was opened in the 15th minute by Pasalic. Um, CDK's cross to Scalvini was intelligently redirected to Pasalic, who controlled the ball on his chest and volleyed the ball into the back of the net in an acrobatic manner. Great build-up, great finish, that is what football is all about. In the 42nd minute, 
CDK won and converted a penalty. He sent Provedel the wrong way from the spot and the penalty was awarded after a handball by Marisic. Still in the first half in the 46th minute, Atalanta almost made it 3 before the break as Holmes header hit the crossbar following another brilliant cross by Miranchuk. Again, Atalanta almost made it 3 in the 60th minute after another great attacking move which ended with a brilliant save by Provedel denying Miranchuk a simple finish after a great and powerful square ball by Pasalic. In the 75th minute, CDK got his second of the night. Can we... Call him a wonder kid from now on, CDK. I, I guess so. <laughs> wonder kid? Would, would he be a kid? Yeah, he's young, CDK. But he's, he's a young teenager. Buck. No, he's 22 years old. Yeah, he's he a could young be a wonder buck. kid. He cut into the box from a wide position and surprised everyone, including Ivan Provedel, by opting for an early low strike into the near corner. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant stuff there by Charles de Caetelare, who was on fire in this game. In the 83rd minute, Chiro Mobile converted a penalty after winning it um, in order to get a consolation goal, essentially, for Lazio. Jim yeah, City giving that one away over there. Yeah, Jim City, yeah. That, that ruthless, silly kick yeah. by Jim by City. Very silly to um, really affect his rating on my Fanta Culture negatively. Yeah, of course, but of yeah. course. Um, CDK has the spirit. Look at the heat map. Look at them all the way up there in the box. 17. That's crazy. You look at the midfield. It's completely flat, pretty much. And Mm. then Miranchuk is just connecting play to um, CDK. That's literally why. Then you have Berat Jim City literally as the last man. Yeah. That's such a cool system. And then you look at Lazio. Lazio literally tried to attack through the middle with Castellanos and Felipe Anderson playing together, trying to charge down the middle and of course they were pretty much pinned back as the highest player was uh, in the center circle the highest pushing player his average position was the center center circle mm. no, so, i guess they typically be wider when zakani is on the pitch i guess so yes um i think what they did here is they tried to attack atalanta down the middle simply because they're so strong out wide at the moment and overloading those flanks you yeah. know they're so good at that yeah but yeah man i thought atalanta absolutely destroyed Lazio I thought they were better in every single fucking area in every single duel I think that Lazio are a bit of a step behind this season I agree yes Um, Atalanta looked like a well-oiled machine they looked so 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 organized and so ruthless man against against Lazio literally pinning them back and they forcing them to do nothing all game they had one shot on target and i'm pretty sure that was the penalty no perhaps probably probably yeah. while um you look at atalanta they had 19 shots they were peppering the the goal um five of them on target of course but yeah. five on target and three goals is impressive in itself for sure for sure i think obviously we have to talk about the Talare. I know we mentioned him, I think, three times already um, in this podcast. But fuck it, he is the star of the week, CDK. Mm. Um, just a, a brilliant all-round performance. And I think maybe this is his position. Um, we've often spoken about the system that he's playing and suiting his play style more. Um, I think... So at Milan, he was often played as an attacking midfielder, mm-hmm. as a trequartista rather, um, and sometimes popped in as a lone striker, sometimes. And I think 
a two up top and CDK being one of them, that must be his best position because he can drift slightly wide while still having the technical ability to play in the tight spaces and to link up play in the middle of the pitch. And because he's got very smart teammates, he's always got someone to pick out, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, fair to say, of course, um, seeing as the success he's found in his career has come literally from that position. I believe he was a striker at Bruges as well. I believe so. When he was, when he was bought, because that was one of the, the things people used to say when um, he would play as a trequartista for Milan, that that wasn't his position at Bruges. Um, yeah, who who would have thought, hey, play him in his position and he would do better. <laughs> um, when in Bruges, right? When in, <laughs> when in Bruges. Yes, I'm, I'm totally impressed by this guy. However, um, as a striker, your mental your mental strength is very important. And CDK has proven that when it's not going his way, it's devastating. Now, I don't know if that's because he was 21 years old or I don't know if that's something that we'll be seeing throughout his career, but I really do hope that that's something he overcomes because as a striker, if you're going to make it all the way to the top, being ruthless will be the difference between becoming Benzema or becoming Higuain you know what I mean mm, mm. like like they were on a similar level at their best Higuain yeah. and Benzema yeah. um, Higuain just had that that block that confidence block that issue when it came to mm-hmm. finishing especially in big moments and big games it's, when it's the a pressure momentum was game with strikers yes. like that it's either Absolutely. 38 goals a season or it's fucking 3 you know Absolutely. what I mean yeah um, Imagine in a world, mm-hmm. okay. So, see, obviously, Atalanta have the option um, to buy CDK for 25 million, correct? Now, imagine Atalanta are like, you know what? He's been great, 25 million is a lot of money, and we'd rather invest it elsewhere. Let's, let's imagine a world where Atalanta would, would not extend or, or not exercise their option to buy CDK, and he ends up back at Milan. Who's that? Conte, come in, three five two CDK up top, boom. That sounds nice, theory, but but <laughs> no, but, no, but no. you know I'm, I'm pretty sure Atalanta have already made it very clear that they're going to to uh, exercise the option. Absolutely, it's, uh, twenty-five the, the, million for them is looking like a steal right now. Yeah, imagine Leao leaves, you know, he goes to yeah. PSG and Milan get Charles back and up for a three five two under Conte. I don't know, I don't know, just just you know. That sounds that sounds weird. weird. Sounds I'm, I'm weird. feeling a bit sick, bro. To be honest <laughs> with you, right now. Conte as our manager, yeah. the gate <laughs> and Leo gone. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, crazy stuff, crazy stuff. Um, Miran Chuk is a player I really want to highlight because, as you said, he links play to the uh, to, to the attacking end seamlessly. Um, it's weird this comparison that I'm about to make, but on the ball with the ball at his feet. His style and his technique reminds me so much of Modric. Mm. I'm not even kidding you. It's, is it the close ball control and it's the ability the... to shift? Exactly, mm. exactly. Very well put. And it's also the inability to lose the ball. Mm, mm. I, 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 I draw that comparison and, uh, and, and I'm not kidding around. Like, like, so when I... he loses the ball, Miranchuk doesn't even move, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Modric yeah. will go running for it. Like, uh, yeah, no, Mo- <laughs> Modric is, is a harder working player, but, but obviously... Not drawing comparison between Ballon d'Or winning fucking Luka Modric, World Cup finalist Luka Modric and, you know, Miranchuk. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, but, 
but the 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 technique i i really see similarities Fair enough i mean it's fine to say that you know they have um, they they look similar there is a similar That's it reminds you of it you know i mean there were moments where people would say that Gurkhoff reminded them of fucking Kaka. You remember that yeah, shit? Yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, Gurkhoff's yeah. nowhere near Kaka, but maybe certain movement reminded people mm. of, of of a certain player. You know, yeah, that's yeah. perfectly fine. You know, Leao reminds people of Thierry Henry. Leao has a long way to go before he's at the level Thierry Henry was, but there's something there. Thank you for standing up for me. You're welcome. Now we're podcast, brother. I suddenly feel much more confident doing this. That's great, man. Thanks, great. Kid. Don't worry, I'll deal with the hate, bro. <laughs> <laughs> but Miranchuk is amazing, and I, they they are stacked in that area. And I just I, I I find it weird that they let him go to Torino last season for a season long loan, like because they they had also removed Malinowski that season. And and I feel like I don't know, man. Maybe if they had Miranchuk, they would have had a fucking better season last season. They could have definitely used him. But one thing about Miranchuk was he's never been this consistent ever since coming back from consistent playing time at Torino. Mm. Um, his Torino spell was very successful. You know, he scored he scored four goals over there. He had a really good season. He played twenty nine games. He was he was mm. very good for them. Consistent. He I think that was the first time since his Moscow days. His locomotive Moscow days that he actually had a full season being a, an important player. At Atalanta was always a fringe player, you know. He spent yeah. two years kind of on and off. But yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, nice to see that he's developed and he's 28 years old. He's not as young as you would think he is. Well, he ain't no spring chicken at Definitely 28 not. years and old. And it is, it is complicated when you send out a guy on loan at 27. But I think this is one of those cases where it worked out well. Mm-hmm. You know what? Nana May told me at, 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 at lunch the other day, bro. She's you like, won't believe what she told me, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, um, how old are you going to be, Matt? My birthday is at the end of February. It's my lucky birthday in exactly 20 days. Um, I, I told her I'm going to be 27. No? And she's like, 27? Like, you, you are not a teenager. Huh? Like, don't think you're a teenager anymore. I'm like, thanks, Nana, you fucking bitch <laughs> <laughs> very, very nice of you to say what are you 74 like relax why but why were you acting in a rascally way you were there i was fine i was sitting down eating my avocado toast like you know yeah, I mean? don't act like no teenager <laughs> like, you you're way past your primer but but anyway enough about nana mayor um before we discuss Lazio and where perhaps they are struggling a little bit, I do want to point out a very sad, some sad news that, that we've, we've heard. Muriel, apparently, linked to a move to He's Amarga. Gone. He's gone. It's done. It's done? It's done. It's done. He's gone. Amarga. Amarga. He's M- off to America. Luis Muriel in America? Yes. Yes, it's a natural trajectory for, for this player, right? I mean... Muriel has never been the epitome of peak footballing fitness, you know, and peak physical level. He's a player who who we, we kind of knew that wouldn't have longevity to his name. Yeah, and, and I think maybe a season or two in the MLS, followed by uh, a return to Colombia to play for um, um, his boyhood club or something of the sort. And he can hang, hang up his boots. He's had a, a good career. Um, at least he was very highly rated on on Serie A spotlight, and and we absolutely one of our favorites. We, you know how we said um, 
that you can draw comparison through a, a, Here a it play, comes. play style. Here it comes. Three, two, one. El Ronaldo. Fenomeno. Yeah, <laughs> yes, Ronaldo, El Fenomeno. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Absolutely, man. And and this isn't only us, you know. I mean, of course, this is a, this is a comparison that has been made many times by many people. It's the way he moves. The way he rounds the goalkeeper. The way he moves the way like he, a ballet dancer. The way he bounces the fucking... He, he does this bounce bounce shot thing of the ground, you know. He's, he's he make that booty pop as well, bro. He does, man. He, he does. that he, booty pop. He's thick. He's thick. Um, yeah, Muriel was incredible. Just a small kind of note on, on Lazio. They're in, they're in a massive transition phase. And it's no wonder that, that they do tend to struggle in these scenarios. You look at this team, this is very different to the squad that they had last year, bro. Okay, Provedel was there, Lazzari, Romagnoli, Marisic, Alberto, Anderson. Mm-hmm. The rest are different, dog. They've got Gila, they've got their their midfield is Gwenduzi and Rovella alongside Luis Alberto. They've got Isaacson and Tati Castellanos. Again, and I know I've exhausted this point. But they lost Sergei, who was their guy, their star, their fucking star. And Chiro Mobile is not the player that he used to be. He's he's showing, perhaps, finally showing his age. Um, mm. And he's looking like Italy's Immobile rather than Lazio's heroic Immobile. And remember, all the stats of how many goals these two players have scored in combinations. Mm. Like, like uh, assisting each other, um, finishing off each other's assists, so on and so forth. Um and we know that that at that Lazio last season and the season before they 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 were a very attacking side getting you all of these goals because they were capable of utilizing the, those two players as their main outlet and if not there's Anderson and if not there's Zaccani and if not there's Luis Alberto and there's always Immobile being a poacher inside the box and they had their ways to get goals mm-hmm. now Tati Castellanos Isaacson to his right and Guendouzi, Rovella, behind him. It, it, it's, it's not bad, but it's, it's a, a transition. transition. It's, That's a transition. It. it's a transitional season for Lazio. Um, Which sucks. How, it sucks because they don't have any guarantees that Sarri will be there next season. Philippe Anderson is apparently joining Juve. He'll be going as a free agent. Oh, Luis Alberto what? is approaching the latter stages of his career. And he's 31 years old, you know, a move is now or never for him if he wants to have a new experience. Luis Alberto. Luis Alberto. I'm surprised he hasn't mentioned it yet. Yeah, like. honestly, like, so you risk the transitional year being just a wasted year and next year being the transitional year, you know. It'd be hard to keep this group together without European football. So let's hope they get their shit together and that they, they start to play more consistently and get these wins up because honestly it's going to be difficult for them to maintain consistency going into next season. Yeah. Um they had a point where they seemed to have things figured out lots. They, they had a terrible they start. They recovered and they went on the streak, but now it seems uh, they No, look, they'll they'll fight for Europa. They'll they'll try they'll they'll fight for Champions League, but they'll probably make Europa um or conference. They're still in the mix. Um but it's just yeah. You know before before the draw to Napoli and, and the loss in this, they were doing quite well. They were on a winning streak. One, two, streak, three, actually. four, five game winning streak. There, there you go. Lecce, Roma, Udinese, Frosinone and Empoli. 
Roma was in the Coppa. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Brother, Iron Maiden said it best. What's that? So, understand, the wasted time is always searching for those wasted years. Lazio find themselves in ninth on 34 points, whilst Atalanta find themselves in fourth on 39 points. They have a game in hand, and if they win that, then there'll still be a bunch of points behind Milan, but... Game in hand. Woo! Delicious. Roma to con Cagliari. It's against Inter, so take oh. that <laughs> claim that they might win it yeah. lightly. Roma to con Cagliari at home and smashed them for zero, brother. Mm-hmm. Um, it's safe to say that they absolutely annihilated them. I, I, I can't use the adjectives that I want to use to describe what Roma uh-huh. did to Cagliari. Uh-huh. Um, let's just say that Cagliari, the Cagliari players must have taken a very long shower after this game. I think they performed, Roma performed every possible form of assault on Cagliari. Every single one. Yeah. And this is um, interesting. And the Rossi's, the Rossi's Roma. It could have gone terribly wrong. You know, this is the... The important thing about bringing in a new man when the fixture list is kind of easy. Exactly. You know, not easy, just less demanding. Uh-huh. Because Mazzari came in and the, the games he had to take on ahead of him, which was just, wow, you know, that's a mm. baptism of fire if I've ever seen one in my life. Uh-huh. But, you know, Roma came, Derossi came into Roma and he had to play three teams who are bottom tier. So yeah. so that was good for for him to get some confidence in the team as well. You know, the way they're playing these guys, it's, <laughs> it's a it's counter-attacking funny. force. The commentator comes into this game was like to be honest like if Roma drop points over here I'm really not going to be surprised mm-hmm. um, I watched their game against Salernitana and I thought they were awful especially this El this Sharawi was, guy this the, the, the commentator, commentator uh-huh. I thought you were saying me because I, I played money on a fucking Cagliari or draw and both teams to score yeah. on this one but then the, the commentator couldn't believe what he was seeing he's like why why is El Sharawi good why why, why are Roma doing this? Like, why do they look so good? <laughs> yeah, honestly, I haven't seen El Sharawi play like this since he was a freaking teenager at Milan. Yeah. But yeah. Since he had that very, very, very spiky mohawk that you could chop a tree down with. The got to be glued mohawk with the line. How many times I've asked for that in my life? <laughs> so, Lorenzo's. Lorenzo's <laughs> lineups, lineups. Actually, yes. I was gonna go straight into the action. So don't yes. forget, don't forget Jesse Pinkman as the left back for. Don't for worry, Roma. brother. Of course, for Roma, it was a four-three-three formation with Rui Patricio in goal, um, Karsdorp on the right, Jesse Pinkman on the left, with Mancini and Lorente at the back. If you're wondering who the hell is Jesse Pinkman, that's their new boy, Angelino. Angelino. Uh, Angelino. He's got the on the end. Like Gelardinio. <laughs> <laughs> Two yeah. seasons ago, I was 84. What happened? I lose a leg or something? <laughs> I lose a leg or what? Angelino, brother. Um, first of all, he wears the number 69 on his kit. So, respect automatically. Yes, definitely. Him and Drangovsky, ballers. Yes. Um, second of all, I've been a fan of this guy, seeing him sporadically in the Champions League with Leipzig. I've always thought Angelino was a good, hard-working, industrious, skillful... Much um, like Jesse Pinkman. Yeah, much like Jesse Pinkman, hard. yeah. Um, he, he's a great fullback, and he showed that in his first game, to be honest. He demonstrated it immediately. 
Pellegrini, Paredes and Cristante were in the midfield with Dybala, Lukaku and El Sharawi playing up front in this 4-3-3 system. Ranieri went with a 3-5-2 formation, starting with Scuffe in goal, Obert, Mina and Dossena at the back. Did Mina... I know Mina was at Cagliari when this game started? No. Really? I found I found out during the lineups. I was like, there's Yeri Mina. I found out because his bar on my Fanta Calcio went to green and it's never green. I'm like, what the hell, Fiorentina are starting Mina? I went to check and it's like, Mina Cagliari. I'm like, what? <laughs> but yeah, um, he got beaten in the air by Huis in this game. So <laughs> uh-huh. let's see. We, we can see why he's been sent out on loan. Yeah. Atsi was out on the left, Zappa on the right, Nandes, Prati and Makumbu were in the middle with Lapadula and Petania as the not so formidable striking partnership. <laughs> So Lorenzo Pellegrini's early goal set the tone after Petania spilled the ball into his path after a corner, followed by Angelino whipping in a delicious ball to Cristante who struck the post. The ball as well worked effort on the penalty conversion after the break, made sure it was 3-0 for Roma. And then teenager Dean Huyson, who's currently on loan from Juventus, added to the tally with a towering header from Paredes's corner. Cagliari are on a 16-game winless away run and they struggle to make an impact. They missed their chances and VAR overturned the penalty. The Bala had opportunities for a hat-trick while, while Lukaku's efforts were denied. The result places Cagliari back into the relegation zone after the heaviest defeat of the season, while Roma, unbeaten in the last nine head-to-head encounters, rise to fifth. So I hate to say this. I have their kit. I really like them. I love Sardinia. I love the current setup of the team. I love Ranieri. Cagliari, through no fault of their setup, of their management or whatever, they are very, very, very limited when it comes to quality players. Hmm. Very limited when it comes to quality players. Especially because Lovumbo has been away at AFCON. Because with Lovumbo on the side... Especially coming on in the second half. They could be pragmatic and then break through. Exactly. And and you know what, man? Having Luvumbo and Viola. And, uh, okay, Makumbu. Let's include Makumbu as well. It gives you a little bit of, mm-hmm. of, of quality. Uh, just a splash, a dollop of quality. Or Istanio's out injured. Shomorodov exa- is out injured. Exactly. So is Rog. Yeah, yeah. They, it's, not, it's not really going well for them. But I don't understand this idea of playing Lapadula and Petania together up front against Roma. What, what, what's the plan here? You know, go for a more mobile team, go for a counter-attacking team. You're playing two, essentially, target men. Yeah. Two target men up front. But essentially, that's exactly what they're doing. Yeah. And um, in fact, when, when Lovumbo eventually did come on, now granted, I know that you can't really... They couldn't have given him more time this game because he'd just come back from AFCON. And mm-hmm. you would have thought, by the way, he came back from Ibiza, bro. He bro, bro came back blonde. <laughs> You know, but he looks as good as ever after his um, experience with Angola. It makes me laugh, just like the the decision to get this hair dyed. It's like, go to the African Cup of Nations, and then before I go to continue to play for Cagliari in Serie A, I'll I'll, I'll get a quick, um, I'll just get my hair dyed blonde. And then, and then go back. Like, Unless you really wanted to stand out, you know, at the tournament. I'm sure he had it for the tournament. Ah, perhaps. For perhaps. sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, Roma's next game will be very telling as it is against Inter. So we'll see what Deros is made of. Let's see if he's really got that spunk or if he's just been bullying kids in the playground. Um, Cagliari, of course, are in a little bit of a tough situation right now. We'll see how they can do to recover. Um 
the relegation battle is getting tighter and tighter and I am seriously concerned about some of these teams that I love because I'm looking down there and I'm like, these guys aren't all terrible, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, Hellas Verona are the ones who've um, really moved many of their good players on so you think that they're automatically candidates. You think that Udinese and Sassuolo simply out of pedigree and because of the fact that they've been in Serie A for so long and they have so many quality players, you think they're safe. That doesn't leave many teams to get relegated, man. You look at Lectria and Monza as well. They're, they've been playing well. Genoa have been playing well. That literally leaves, let's say, Verona and then two of Cagliari, Empoli and Salernitana. And Empoli have been playing much better than the other mm. two. So I'm perhaps Cagliari say, and Salernitana. I'm not going to say anyone is safe. Definitely but not. I wouldn't count Genoa and Monza as part of the conversation. I think 13th down, they mm. are all part of the conversation. Absolutely, yes. I'm talking Verona, Udinese, Sassuolo, Frosinone, Lecce, all part of the conversation. 34 points, you're safe. And Genoa and Monza are on 29. Eh? Empoli got relegated with 34 points once upon a time Was in a it piece 34? of cherry wood. Something like that. Okay, okay. Let's mm-hmm. say high 30s, you're usually safe. Uh-huh. Okay, so that's literally fucking 10 more points for Genoa and Monza. They're fine. Yeah. But yeah, they can definitely do that. As per the standings... <laughs> Genoa, Genoa, not Genoa, we're just talking about Genoa. Cagliari are in 18th with 18 points, while Roma have climbed to 5th with 38 points. Lecce 3, Fiorentina 2, finally, probably the best game of match day 23. Brother, mm. what a game it was. What a game, a Friday night thriller. Mm-mm-mm, brother, and where we thrilled. Lecce were coming off a 2-1 loss to Genoa, whereas Fiorentina were coming off a 1-0 home loss to Inter. Um, the previous encounter was a 2-2 draw between these two sides, so Fiorentina have failed to beat Lecce this season. How funny is that? <laughs> no significant injuries for either side, but breaking news, in case we haven't mentioned it, Strafezza to Como, done. He is yeah. no longer part of the Lecce team. The guy was a staple for them, he, he will be remembered in Lecce, um, especially for his season last season, where Lecce had just come back up and he was shaking at booty and dribbling those players. He he looked really good. Um, it was a four-two-three-one formation for Lecce. It was Falcone in goal and the backline of Gallo, Baschirotto, Pongracic, and Jean Dre. Um, it was Blin and Kaba as the double pivot with Banda on the left, Anquist on the right and Udon playing behind Kristovic. It was also a 4-2-3-1 for Fiorentina. Terracciano in goal on the back line of Faraoni, Martinez, Ranieri and Biraghi. When I say Martinez, naturally it's Martinez Quarta. Um, Maxi, no, Madonna, I always make this mistake. Maxime Lopez started in the double pivot alongside Duncan. Inzola was on the right, Sotil was on the left, and Bonaventura played behind Beltran. Now, chaos ensued in the 10th minute as Caba struck the post with a powerful header and Terracciano denied a follow-up attempt by Ankvist. In the 17th minute, Lecce opened the scoring through an Udon free kick. Um, it was a very close-range free kick that went through the wall and into the bottom corner. Still a good goal, but the wall was absolutely atrocious. It was Sotil, who moved his lower body out of the way for some fucking unknown reason. Bonaventura didn't stand too firm either, kind of went a bit to the left, but it was all Sotil, this, the way he raised his knees up to his chest and turned to the side. Like, yeah, he like jumped up and did a split midair. If if I'm gonna be honest, I'm gonna be honest. I'm gonna be so straight to the point. If you're a pussy, 
You can't be in a wall. You can't be in a wall if you're a pussy. Because if you're gonna jump quickly, give me give me five players in the league who should never be in the wall. <laughs> um by God, last season would have been so much easier because the first two that came... Okay, so Banda. Because <laughs> he's like, what, 5-1? Yeah, five, it's 5-3 and I agree Banda should never be in the wall. Sotil, clearly, should okay. never never be in a wall again. Or should CDK be in the wall? I think CDK can be in he's a wall. He's got size He's tall, yeah, he's yeah, tall. Yeah. But you is know? he brave? That's a question. Probably not. You, we've seen him roar. It's, yeah. not, it's not the most intimidating thing ever. Um, who else shouldn't be in a wall? I like this question. I'm going to say Dybala and Chiesa because if they jump too high, they risk injury. Hmm. The both <laughs> of them. I have a dream wall, bro. You have a dream wall? Dream wall. I haven't said my fifth one. Well, to be honest, say that because I don't have my fifth one yet. Simeon Wanquo, Luca, Yerimina, Baskerotto. My God. That's my dream formidable wall. wall. Yeah. The great wall of Serie A, I'd call that. That is, that is a, a great wall to be to be honest. And then Vanya in goal. Oh my god, Vanya should be in the wall. <laughs> I can't think of a fifth one, but I'm going to go for Barella because he also gets hurt very frequently and, and if he gets hit by a ball then he might spend 10 minutes rolling around on the floor. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. I wouldn't want my most in an ideal, an ideal, an ideal. My most unideal wall would be like Gwendozi and Zergzi and all these oh. these Afro having players. Um, you know, the ball just fly through them like out of the fucking bushes. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, that was Udon opening the scoring in the seventeenth minute, and it's good to mention that before this, uh, Lecce had hit the post as I mentioned earlier, but went off a bit of a tangent. Uh, moments later, the 26th minute, was all Lecce at this point. Um, they were at it again when Kristovic hit the post when striking on the turn after a quick counter-attack. Um, so Lecce entered the second half with a 1-0 advantage. However, in the 50th minute, Mandragora managed to get an equaliser for Fiorentina. The substitute came on along with Bellotti to try find a goal, but it was the midfielder that managed after striking on the bounce from outside the area after collecting a defensive clearance. It was a magnificent, powerful low strike that was a contender for a goal of the week. In the 63rd minute, Banda failed to score past Terracciano when clean through on goal. He found himself in such a position after Milenkovic failed to control the ball at the back and totally fumbled it and, and, you know, obviously couldn't catch up with Banda once he got hold of the ball. Um, 67th minute, Beltran made it 2-1 for Fiorentina. The Argentine intercepted a horribly, a horribly dangerous pass by Falcone. And, you know, just one touch and he guides it into the back of the net. Horrible stuff by the keeper. Just never play that kind of pass. Um, you know, dreadful stuff, but great, great press by Beltran over there to put pressure yeah. on the keeper and to force the error out of him. Um, Belotti almost opened his account for Fiorentina in the 87th minute, for his, only for his very Belotti-esque volley to strike the woodwork. A Bellotti-esque volley is a very scrappy, hard-working volley that ends up being quite dangerous. You know, if you watch Bellotti, then, then you know exactly what I mean. The kind of volley that your mouth's wide open while you're doing like it. He made, like the form isn't great, but he should have never gotten to it, but he got you're to it. You're hunched over, you yeah. know, kind of leg in the air. Yeah, I know exactly yeah. what you mean. Bellotti always looks uncomfortable, doesn't he? Like, he, he does. He just always calm. looks like he's freezing, bro. <laughs> he always looks like he's freezing. That's uh, interestingly put. Yes, I, I see it. Thank you. 90th minute. 
Lecce get an equalizer. It's fucking piccoli. It was a free kick cross by Sansone that was meant to be headed away by Inzola, but instead perfectly guided to Piccoli, who rose the highest and headed in very well. I've never seen anything like that. Like Inzola. <laughs> like I've never seen someone try to clear a ball and he puts it on a plate for someone else. It's just next level. Eh? I bet you Fiorentina fans kind of wish that Inzola had gone to Afcon. Yeah, yeah, bro. <laughs> so true. I don't know why I get the feeling that Inzola will end up in Turkey. I, yeah, I think he's, I like he's it. He's got that, um, that vibe about him. Roberto Piccoli is on five goals this season. Yes, he is. He's. Uh-huh. I have an argument to make with you about how he should be starting ahead of Kristovic. Uh-huh. Um, 92nd minute. You know, you'd think that Lecce are busy celebrating their equaliser to get a great point against Fiorentina where they expected to get nothing but absolute scenes. Scenes. Dorgu with the winner. He smashed the ball into the top corner after Terracciano saved Kristovic's strike well. Two goals in two minutes. You know, he's off celebrating, going crazy with the fans. Just immaculate stuff. I really didn't think Lecce would get anything out of this game, but they got away with all three points. What did you make of it, bro? Why why did Fiorentina struggle so much in this game? Like, So, Lecce came into this game ready. You know, they were they were totally ready to to take on Fiorentina and to really push for something more than perhaps a draw this game. Um, I really liked the approach with the high aggressive press, and it turns out that the substitutes um, were bang on as well. By uh, what's his name? His name escapes me right now, brother. Lecce's manager. Yes, uh, Daversa. Daversa. Thank you very much. Um, you did nothing. <laughs> he brought on Piccoli and Dorgu and they scored in the 90th and the 92nd minutes to get them winners. You know, um, that winning goal can be simply a case of Fiorentina losing focus after conceding a goal in the 90th minute. They're like, damn, we've thrown the lead. And then while they're thinking that, damn, we got nothing out of this game because Patrick Dorgu is scoring the winner. Mm. So, yeah, um, I think that's that's pretty much what happened. Yeah, and, and also you look at the form right, of of Fiorentina at the moment, they haven't been doing great, let's be real. They had every opportunity to be in fifth because Roma were slipping up, Bologna were slipping up, Napoli were slipping up, Lazio keeps slipping up, but they have failed to remain consistent and, and get wins when they needed wins. If you look at their past four games, they don't have a single win, bro, in their past four games, and they have three losses and one draw. And I think a large part of that comes for two reasons. Number one, I feel like they're struggling a lot defensively. Mm-hmm. I think if you put pressure on Fiorentina, chances are you're going to score against them. Secondly, they sim- well, there are three things, okay. Secondly, I don't feel like they properly control games and games kind of escape them a little bit. Now, I don't quite know why that is, Um but but it's there. It doesn't seem like the game is ever in their control and they're always catching up to it. Third point is they, they suck at scoring goals. They are not a creative team by any way. Mm-hmm. Beltran and Dinzola are not the strikers that they want. Um, now they brought in Belotti and he came in off the bench, you know, just until he settles. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nico came in off the bench because he's he's coming back from injury. I just at the moment it's it's all going south for them. 
and all they needed was to come up against a highly motivated Lecce team who are battling relegation and they know that every every point is crucial and they were fearless against Fiorentina they really really took the game to them bro Yes, I think Bellotti is the type of profile that actually fits this Fiorentina better than this Fiorentina side better than Beltran or um, Unzola do. Mm. I like what Bellotti can do in link-up play. I like the type of, like towards the latter part of his season, his tenure, sorry, his tenure at um, Torino, he was playing balls from deep. Yeah, you know, deep yeah. his forward balls, like he's through balls, defense cutting balls. Mm. Um, it just goes to show, you know, there's a lot more to his skill set than we've seen at Roma, and I think this could be a, a good environment for him where he's competing with two strikers who, okay, one of them, and Zola, is just offering nothing in play and is assisting the other team unless yeah. he's scoring penalties, you know. Yeah. Um, and then you have Lucas Beltran, who, granted, his goals are coming through very hard work and um, very high levels of awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's a hustler, but it's not been easy for him at all, and he has struggled um, to to settle into the Fiorentina side. So I think the that number nine position is there for the taking, taking, and I think Bellotti is a good candidate for it. Yeah, I think so. How much would they be kicking themselves that they let Jovic go on a one-year contract with Milan? Um, probably not too much because we saw what he, the way he was playing at Fiorentina. Um, he was very frustrating to watch. Over one season, bro. And, um, and he was also very good for them in Europe. Don't forget that. In the conference league, he was a monster for them. Yeah, um, they might be kicking themselves. They probably are kicking themselves, let's be real. But... Um, uh, they Fiorentina like to put strikers in the box and feed them, and Jovic mm. is not that guy, man. Yeah. So yeah. No, I mean you're you're absolutely right. Um, but let's move towards Lecce a little bit. We've often well we haven't really often debated it, but you are a fan of Kristovic mm-hmm. and the fact that obviously Kristovic does tend to create chances where chances aren't there to be created. He'll have a strike, you know, from from distance, he'll give you a good shot on the turn. Um, but is obviously really struggling for goals. He got one recently, but let's let's not pretend that that wasn't a crazy own goal. Like let, let's <laughs> let's not pretend that was the case. Piccoli, Piccoli, to me, looks more certain to grab a goal. When Piccoli's playing, he, he, he's simply grabbing goals and, and Kristovic is not. So I can't help it's but be more It's a matter Piccoli. of form, me eh? Towards the beginning of the season, no one would have ever dreamt of displacing Kristovic for, for Piccoli. You know, but um, it turns out that their form is working in parallel ways, which is actually a very good thing for Lecce because they always have one firing. Um, yeah, so like last year with Cisse and Colombo. Exactly, literally, literally, literally. Man, that could be a way in managing their men. That could be intentional. Who knows? We're not there. Oh, Kristovic has more goals. Huh? Kristovic has five. has four. Kristovic started the season super well, man, and and he he was looking like a natural striker. And now it's clearly a problem of confidence, and and he has improved. Huh? This game, he got quite close to scoring. The the goal on the rebound was it was his, his shot that. Yes, it. but I I find that Piccoli 
is more intelligent when it comes to his positioning as a number nine. I feel like he finds himself in he finds himself in goal scoring opportunities more often than Kristovic. I'm not so sure I agree with that. I and like I like Kristovic as fuck a, you. I love Kristovic as a fox in the box. I think his movement fo- in some, the box some is... some fox, huh? He is <laughs> some fucking fox. <laughs> But you know what, man? This is a good problem for Lecture to have because they're both 23 years old. They're both scoring in Serie A. So, you know what? They have two potential good sales over there. Yeah. yeah. Um, apparently, Lecce have a certain Salvatore Sullo as one of their coaches. And apparently, since his arrival, the, the team has been performing much better. So, I, I don't know enough about Salvatore Sullo, what he's doing and why he's making Lecce better, but Salvatore, if you're listening, good on you, man. Just Keep it up, man. Keep it up. <laughs> um, Fiorentina find themselves down in eighth. That's how fragile your position is in this league. Um, in eighth place on 34 points, whilst Lecce, massive step in the right direction for them. They're in 13th on 24 points. Some breathing space now, six points. Ahead of 18th placed Cagliari and 17th placed Verona. The Emilia Clark from Game of Thrones Derby. Bologna 4, Sassuolo 2. You don't get that reference? Of course I don't. You never, never watched Game of Thrones. I never watched. You've never been disappointed by the worst ending I've ever seen in my life. Really? You didn't like it? I, I remember you, you couldn't stop talking about because it. Because Game of Thrones is incredible, bro. The... It's just a journey up until the final season. Uh-huh. And it's an incredible journey. It takes you through a range of emotions. Right, you sound like a it's mother right now. It's fucking incredible, man. Mm-hmm. It's incredible, honestly. Um, and you never know what's going to happen, bro. You can't get emotionally attached to anyone because they'll just fucking kill them off. Like It's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a crazy good show. Mm-hmm. But then the last season was just rushed because apparently they had a contract to... To make some Disney film, Star fucking Wars or something. Yawn, Star bro. Wars. Yawn. Yeah, yawn. It was fucking. I can. They I ruined can, it basically. I can never watch ruined. Game of Thrones because of my fucking pride, man. Because my ex girlfriend was always like, I can't believe you never watch Game of Thrones. You, it's an ick. It's an ick. never watch Game of Thrones. It's like the greatest of all time. You're not hipster, but not watch it. I'm like, let's watch it then. Let's fucking watch it. Watch season one. Oh, sorry. We watched episode one. Thought it was amazing. I thought it was great. And there was this kid who climbed the tower to try spy on this this girl that he fancied, and there was her brother <laughs> fucking her like. And there's a there's an incest scene. Yeah, yeah. And the brother sees the kid climbing, and he just fucking punches him in the face and sends him flying down this castle. And it ended, and I was like, holy shit, oh yeah. my and, and god. And like, you know what, I'm never going to continue this ever again. And I was like, we have to watch episode two right now. And she's like, no, no, I don't feel like I have a headache. And I'm like, can we please watch episode two? I really need to know if this kid is dead or not. Show me, he's not dead. Like, you just, you, what? Like, how can you? What are you doing? Like, what if I told you that that kid becomes the most powerful person in the and realm, he's a piece brother? of shit? No, piece of shit? No, he's not a piece of shit. There's some king piece of shit. Bran, I believe, was his name. Yeah, but anyway, man, what <laughs> the fuck are we talking about? 
Um, Bologna 4 Sassuolo 2 Skorupski was in goal Posh was at the back with Belkema, Calafiori and Christensen for Bologna Abisher, Freuler and Ferguson were in the middle with Fabian, Zergzi and Urbanski playing up front You said Skorupski Brother, it's Skorupski Skorupski <laughs> Who had a terrible mistake as well It's like yes. Montepo Yes yeah. Not Montepo Falcone. Falcone I'm, I also confuse yes, Lecce yes. and Verona. They came up at the same time, Montepo and Falcone. They yes. were two up-and-coming goalkeepers. Yes. Yeah. Falcone, better. <laughs> Consili was in goal for Sassuolo with a back four of Josh Doig, Matteo Viti, Martin Erlich and Pedersen with Lipani and Tordsvet playing as the midfield two. Christian Volpato um, on loan from Rome. Actually bought from Roma. Yes, purchased. the right. Lauriente was on the left, Bayrami was playing behind Andrea Penamonti. Now, Bologna showcased a lot of resilience this game, overcoming a goal deficit twice for a remarkable victory. Key moments included towards Vets early strike, which was a gift from Skorupski, who played the ball directly at him, Xerxes' deflected equalizer of, Z- of VT, sorry, and Volpato's curler to end the half 2-1. And that Volpato goal was... Incredible. Yes, very the nice. The technique was really nice. Very nice. Yeah, um, Xerxes' shot was also good. I thought it was a fantastic goal from the get-go, but um, it was it took a massive deflection. Yeah, they gave me the 10, then they took it away. It was crazy. One of those. In the second half, um, Fabian scored a lovely header. Um, I really like this player. He's on loan from Inter. Smart, um, isn't he? Smart. He's got good positional awareness and a good finish on him as well. You know, if he finds himself in front of goal, he's scoring. Mm-hmm. And it's not... It's not very common with especially um, for a young whippersnapper such yeah. as himself. And he plays quite deep, you know, he plays mm-hmm. him in the pivot sometimes. He's a versatile midfielder, Fabian. Mm-hmm. Motta's substitutions, including Salamakers and Orsolini, played a pivotal role while Ferguson's late curler into the far corner secured the victory. Salamakers got his first goal for Bologna shortly after after a clumsy dribble and a well placed finish. He celebrated with doing like one. Like that's one. that's my first one. That's the first like, one. Right. One. I hope you're counting. Uh, I'm, I'm counting. Yeah, I'm one. counting. One. Right. <laughs> so far, that's the name of this episode. One. one. Next time he scores, we'll name it two. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god and the art would be Salabakers holding a one no I don't have time yeah. for that that would be hilarious yeah. that would be absolutely hilarious yes Bologna's unbeaten home streak reaches 10 games elevating them to 5th in Serie A while Sassuolo face concerns with 7 defeats in 9 matches now this game okay granted Sassuolo brought it and they really did their best to um, take something home from this one but Bologna absolutely dominated the possession when it came to shots on goals, Sassuolo actually had more. Um, so it was quite a balanced game in the shooting department. But of course, possession-wise, it was all Bologna. And I think they had a bit too much spunk for Sassuolo to handle, especially in the later part of the game. Because, you know, the, the winning goal came in the 83rd minute. And then right after that, the lapse in concentration, of course, in the 86th minute, the fourth goal. You've been saying... <laughs> you think I'm going to stop saying spunk? <laughs> He literally just said they had too much spunk for Sassuolo to handle. Yeah, like spunk, how much man. spunk did they have, bro? It didn't stop, man. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was quite a quite a good victory for for Bologna, who who are on a, on the right trajectory again after a bit of a lapse in form. Yeah. Um, 
Come, looking at the standings right now, that fourth spot is up for grabs, but Atalanta are definitely looking to be the more consistent side. Yeah. Roma are obviously shooting their way up there, but they're playing Inter next time. We don't know what's going to happen. Um, they've had good fixtures for now, and we don't know how De Rossi will will cope against certain other teams. We've seen, for example, certain spells in the Salernitana game where Salernitana looked like the better coached team. To be yeah, honest with yeah, you. absolutely. Napoli, another moody side, but it seems like they've accepted the fact that there are three at the back team at the moment and they're they're actually getting the results they want with that granted not in the prettiest way possible Fiorentina a little bit moody at the moment inconsistent Lazio inconsistent so there's a lot of inconsistency mm. in the league but right one now. thing one thing that we saw brother is the new the new competitors for Champions League Europa League which are Fiorentina and Bologna went through a spell where they reminded us Perhaps why they are not consistent competitors and why mm. they are not part of the the, the top seven discussion. Hmm. Yes, they, they went they went through that spell and you know what? Perhaps they will go through another spell like that. Let us not get carried away with with a streak or a or a run of form because sometimes teams look unstoppable and then. You the know. thing that excited me about Bologna was their tactical flexibility, but we always address the fact that two injuries or one injury could ruin them and their chances for, for a serious European push. Yes. Um, the season is long. We're only 22 games in. There are a total of, what, 38? 38 yeah. games? We're 23 games in, but some, yes, some, some teams, some 22. teams 22. Yeah, so, so yeah, season is long. We'll see. Um, I think time will most definitely tell who the, the more consistent mm-hmm. ones are. Yeah, and I'm a bit concerned about Sassuolo when it comes to where they're finding themselves in the table. Because that is... 41 goal. They are one point ahead of 18th placed Cagliari. And one yeah. point ahead of 17th placed Veron. Oh my guy! You have Veron, Cagliari and Empoli, each on 18 points. Yeah. If one of them win... Or one of them draw, we can see Udinese or Sassuolo in the relegation zone next week. Yeah, because only Salernitana have lost more games than Sassuolo. Madon, that's Cagliari that's a crazy and stat. Empoli and Verona have actually lost the same amount of games as Sassuolo with 13. Brother, we could record the entire podcast just looking at this table. That's not <laughs> a bad idea. Now we had three nil nils. Yes, we have 10 minutes left, so we, we uh, have good yeah, time. So to... much for a quick one. Uh-huh. This, this was supposed to be Classic. an hour. Yeah, this, no, is, yeah. this is the Fennec quickie, all right? You're never yeah. going to get one. The, f- the Fennec um, quickie. Torino were all over Salernitana, but of course the usual problem with Torino not being able to um, score or convert their chances. Yep. They had an XG of 0.95 to put into consideration, which means they should have scored one goal. Salernitana had an XG of 0.10. I can't remember them having a, a proper shot on target. What we did see was Jerome Boateng, um, his debut at the back, and he did look like a like a proper leader. You know, at the mm. end of the game, high fiving everyone. Come on, boys! You know all that shit. Um, he'll be a useful a useful player for them. Come on, boys, and all that shit. <laughs> you had you had the other two nils. Anything of note in those? Well, I had the Udinese Monza game, um, which basically, to be honest, so. Udinese deserved the victory over there. I mean, if you look at the statistics, it does not take a rocket scientist <laughs> to see that Udinese probably deserved more out of this game. So it was Monza had the lion's share of possession with 53%. Udinese, though, had 21 shots. 
six of which were on target, eight off target, seven blocked. When you look mm-hmm. at Monza's attempts, they had three shots to one target. The XG for Monza was 0.11, whilst it was 0.9 for Udinese. So they were almost expected to score the game, uh, score score in this game. Um, I thought Udinese looked good in this game. Um, had it not been for the great Michele Di Gregorio, who had a superb game, we could have seen Udinese get one of their few victories uh, this season. Di Gregorio had six saves in this game. Um, Luca played well, Thuvon played well, Sandy Loverich looked good as well. It was overall, I was quite surprised by the performance of Udinese, considering where they find themselves in the table. Hmm. As for the other game, um, uh, which is Empoli against Genoa, this was um, possibly the liveliest one, and the one that could have gone either way. Um there was a, a notable moment that came in the 92nd minute, which was the sending off of on the winter um, on loan from Juve. But obviously that didn't have much of an impact on the outcome of the game. Um, very even affair. You see Empoli with 48% ball possession to Genoa's um, uh, 52% ball possession. One thing you will see over here is the increased confidence of this Empoli team putting up a fight against Alberto Gilardino's Genoa. They were not scared to to bring the game to them, knowing, you know, the certain assets that their opponents have in players like Goodmanson, Retegui, Malinowski, um, Spence nowadays, who looked fucking good in this game, to be mm-hmm. honest. Um, yeah, but, but, you know, Empoli, they, they were threatening. That 15 shots, four of which were on target. Um, to Genoa's 10 shots where two were on target and again man it's all about the press of Davide Nicola's side and it's all about the durability of his teams man and it's also crazy just to see how a simple change in formation has changed the way that this team looks so drastically they were looking so flat so boring they weren't creative at all with their four at the back formation now just a simple switch to the 3-4-2-1 formation you have Zurkowski and Kambiagi playing behind Cherry and wow man they look way more um, creative and way more dynamic for that Genoa struggled to penetrate this unit of a team who when they're defending they defend as a team, and when they attack, they send a couple fellows to attack up there themselves. But it was a very entertaining affair. I couldn't tell you who I think deserved to win this game. Romantically, I will say Empoli, but it was a very even affair. Fair enough, brother. So, guys, thank you very much if you've made it this far. If you would like to support our content, you can find us on Patreon. It's only three ninety nine a month, and the money will be reinvested into the podcast and to make sure that we can um, continue uploading content cons- consistently. Yeah, we also play a song where we get a new patron, and we're not going to tell you what the song is um, until you, yes, you, become a patron, and we'll play a little song for you, and we can vibe together and have a good time. <laughs> if you don't want to be a patron, at least be nice, drop us a like, drop us a rating, and send us a DM. We love hearing from you guys, we love speaking with you guys, and yes, we'll see you all next week. Have a happy weekend, and enjoy the football. This is Serie Spotlight. If you like Serie A or have ever liked it in the past, it's a good opportunity for you to listen once a week and you'll get filled in. In the football weekend, that's like the main dish. But then a few days later, you drop your episode and that's like the dessert. 
and the dessert is just perfect. It's good, the cake. It makes it feel like we're all sitting in a room together, just BSing with each other. The atmosphere is fantastic. I promise nobody will ask you to send boob pics. Sometimes it may be good, sometimes it may be shit. I love how you go into so much detail and show so much passion towards each and every team. Literally, no team is left undiscussed. When I listen to you, it's like I'm talking to you in a pub. It's like I'm chatting to a friend and you're chatting to me.